And and also you can't be emotionally you can't sing if you're emotionally constipated. <laughs> no, really can't. <laughs> This is a podcast where I want to find out how women, non-binary and gender non-conforming people have influenced and shaped our thoughts and lives. In a world where women's contributions are often disregarded, I want to learn more about how and how much they have impacted the people we are and the society we live in. To do this, I am going to be talking to fantastic guests about how people of marginalised genders have influenced their lives, identities and understandings of the world. Today I'm with singer Natanya Phillips. She studied at the Royal Northern and the Royal Academy and has sung with groups such as the 16, the BBC Singers, the Group Vocal de France and the Cambridge Singers with my hero, John Rutter. She's also been a, been a singing teacher and a road sweeper for the London Borough of Brent. She is now proudly the tree warden of Quennington. <laughs> Hello, Tanny. Hello, Lucy. Thank you so much for coming on to Buzzer. My pleasure. It's really exciting because the two people I've, the three people that I've interviewed so far have kind of all been at a similar stage of life to me. And so it's really exciting to speak to somebody who will have more insight and knowledge. Older. You just mean older. Being a woman in the world. <laughs> what I've asked you to do is to pick five women who have influenced, shaped, moulded you, had an impact on some part of your lives. And they are from five categories. And these categories are a teenage icon, a fictional character, somebody that you've never met somebody that's no longer alive, and somebody you know personally. So over the next half an hour, we're just going to chat about that and hopefully find out more about how these women have impacted you and the world and the way we all think. Does that sound okay to you? It sounded really good. Do you think that as you've gone through your life, that your idea of being a woman has changed? Oh, it's definitely changed. Um, I was sadly watching an advert only this morning by a clothing company, and it was a family, uh, mum, dad, little girl, little boy, and the mum was running around with the girl, and the dad was running around with a rugby ball with the boy. And I just thought we, in so many ways, we have moved on, but here we still have these stereotypes and yes, we have. I played football when I was at school. We now have a, an inter, you know, we have a, a national football girls football team. Women play rugby. There's still a gender gap. Uh, so yes, always conscious of being, always conscious of being a woman, and and how the, how the downer that is effective is, is put on you by society. I love the people you've chosen. I won't give that away to the listeners yet. But you've chosen people from kind of like all parts of your life. Do you think that has some, that's kind of representative of maybe how you've grown at all over the years? Definitely. I think I'd, I'd have, it would have been much harder if you'd gone, can you think of five male influences in your life? Mm. So, yeah. When I was coming up with the concept of this, I spoke to a male friend of mine. I told him about the concept and he immediately said... Oh, I'm going to think of the answers, but I'm just going to think about it with men. (laughs) 
it is interesting how it's it's seemingly the women that I've spoken to seem to be much more conscious about the women that have like contributed to their lives in comparison. And it's not that women have contributed any less to men's lives. It just seems that the people I've spoken to who are women are much more aware of the other women in their lives. Yeah, that um, makes sense. <laughs> apart from maybe my dad, who's overwhelmed by women all the time. He's probably too aware of the women in his life. <laughs> So let's get started. So the first person we're going to talk about is your teenage icon, who is... Carly Simon. Tell me about Carly Simon. She was one of those voices that really spoke to me as a teenager. She's a singer-songwriter. Her fantastic voice, it's got edge, it's got depth. Um, She plays the piano as well, as if that's not too much Mm. (laughs) and but her use of lyrics and words and I'm going to use this word a lot two words emotional honesty that comes out she writes from the heart and the the particular album was no secrets and just you know how you you buy an album or and there's maybe one or two numbers that really just stick out and the rest you just know are there for padding and mm. just every one of them is an absolute gem, an absolute gem. There's no waste. There's no waste. And she just writes with such feeling, emotional integrity. Numbers like his friends are more than fond of Robin describes someone who just has that sort of charismatic personality that they're unaware of and everybody's drawn to them. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Then there's something like, the Carter family, and she she uses mm. this idea of a family who used to live next door, who she loved, and then she started realising that she was moving on, they weren't her people, they were crap. And then sort of different times in her life, uh, she mentions a boyfriend. I think the line goes, you used to make me moan in bed, but that can't be enough. My, f- my folks complained your jokes were crude, your manners were too rough. <laughs> and it, it's just... She uses language so well, but with this beautiful voice. Uh, the album cover had her in a, in a jaunty 1970s hat, I suppose, with a, a cotton T-shirt with long bell-bottom sleeves. And you can see her nipples. You know, there's, there's, she's not wearing a bra. Uh, and she was just very liberated with a small L. But it, it's, it's the mm. way she speaks through her songs that is just... Magical, absolutely magical. And I would recommend that you listen to them. I I, listen, I had a listen to the album. Oh, good. And, I mean, I've listened to lots of those songs before. I just think the lyrics to You're So Vain are just the cleverest, funniest lyrics. Yeah. I laugh every time I listen to it. The You're So Vain, I bet you think this song is about you. Because you can just think of every boy or man that she's been with being like, this is about me. And, and the rumours where it was either about Warren Beatty or Mick Jagger, but she has never divulged who she actually wrote it for. <laughs> um, but as you say, it, it just fits so many arrogant men that we can think of. <laughs> when you were first listening to Carly Simon, what were you like? What stage were you at? Well, I had one of these T-shirts with, with the bell-bottom sleeves made of oh, nice. um, cotton I think quite feisty, but shy at the same time. Nothing's changed, I mm. suppose. 
<laughs> Were you aware of wanting to be a performer at that time? I yes, but with a more theatrical bent. I joined. It was a trendy group called the something musicians. It was a kids' group we performed at the Roundhouse, and I also did Finchley Children's Opera Group. At about the same time, I was listening to Carly Simon. So yes, I would say. That that drive to to sing was there. Um, I mm. thought it was because I wanted to perform. I'm now I'm not so sure. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it wasn't the right right route. I don't know. But at that at that time, yeah, absolutely, I wanted to perform and sing. When did you um start singing and performing and things? Very young. Um, my grandmother, who also went to the Royal Academy of Music, but as a violinist said I used to sit in my pram and try and copy bird song that I could hear. And in school, we did an awful lot of music, awful lot of music. So, yeah, yeah, from a very young age. That Was that your... Because your mum was a ballet dancer? Yes. Wasn't she? And so was that her mum that also went to the Royal Academy? Yeah. And interestingly, my, my granny, my grandmother had perfect pitch. My mother has no pitch. It's It really has skipped a generation. That's so funny. And of course, Sam's got perfect pitch, but I haven't. So you, you tell me how it works. Oh gosh, wow. I'm guessing they weren't the ones showing you Carly Simon, or were no, they? No, that's, that, that's just school influence, surely. surely you know, everybody yeah. talks about who they're listening to at the moment. And I had two other friends who were really into Carly Simon's. Um, Simon. Um, so no, that was, that was completely not parent-driven. That was, that was school Oh, have you heard this? I'll bring, you know, I'll come round to your place. I'll bring my Carly Simon album. <laughs> Do you still listen to Carly Simon now? It's been lovely because this has sort of been brewing for some time that I've had a chance to go back and listen again. Mm. So, no, uh, other than preparing for this and when you first mentioned that you're going to be doing it and I thought, oh, right, teenage influence, Carly Simon. Oh, I'll have a listen to her. Um, so no, I, I think I've, I think I've grown up. I don't listen to her anymore. But I, re- as I say, I really enjoyed having a, a listen again. Oh, I'm really glad. Well, so um, am I. <laughs> yeah, I loved because I have. I've kind of only really before had listened to a few things like "You're So Vain." Um, so it was really nice. Kind of, I sat this morning when I was doing a bit of research with the whole listen to the whole album. Yeah. Yeah, she just got such an amazing voice. And, and it, I mean, it's the perfect recording voice. It's it's even all the way up, all the way mm. down. Um, it, a producer's dream, really. The next person we're going to talk about is a fictional character that has somehow influenced you. I love this one. <laughs> Would you so like to tell us about it? I've chosen um, fairy godmothers. My fairy godmother. Oh. It's really interesting that there are no, in, in, in folk tales, there are no fairy godfathers. No. They appear to, they are for women. So fairy godmother, this, she appears to women in distress. She is able to help them turn pumpkins into carriages, mice into horses. She's just there to help women in distress and, and help them get through. Um, she's just such a good, positive influence 
in all the representation, representations we see, she's never demonstrative, she's never tells and she's never scolding. She's just, I can help you. And that, I think that's absolutely lovely. That is so lovely. I, it's also, I think that's so apt that you've chosen the fairy godmother. <laughs> because you're such a, being a teacher and when you ran Splat, the music course, you're such a nurturer as well. And I love that you see that quality in the fairy godmother, because that's definitely something I see in you. And also, you're my self-appointed fairy godmother. I, I am your fairy godmother. Um, traditionally, godparents were people who's, who had not embraced Christianity, but they wanted their children to become part of the Christian faith, but felt that they didn't have the background to guide their children. So you would ask somebody else who was already part of the church, who knew the ins and outs, to basically look after your child's uh, religious and spiritual well-being. Um, So I, I thought I should... I could be your fairy godmother and my role would be to look after your musical development and education and nurture. So I think over the years, I think for your 18th, did I get you a tuning fork and encourage you to help build your relative pitch? Music by certain composers, signed. So yeah, I I take my responsibility very seriously. There, there is something kind of specific about that that mental role that people often have. You've definitely been that to so many people. Oh. Do you think that you've also had that for you? I think the next person we're going to be talking about, I would say <laughs> definitely yes. Um, but for listeners, I would just like to point out that I do not have a wand. I've, I've not been to Ollivander's <laughs> and I do not have a wand. Well, that is quite disappointing. But Sorry. I understand. I understand. So I think that leads us on quite nicely to the next person I'd love to talk about with you, who is somebody that you know personally, and that is your singing teacher, Joy Mammon. I think I need to scroll back before Joy, which is I had had one singing teacher before I went to Manchester, to the Royal Northern, and... I had met Noel Barker, who was head of vocal studies at Guildhall, on a train, as as you do. And mm-hmm. I asked her to recommend a teacher at the Royal Northern. And she did. So when I got into the Northern, I asked to have this teacher. And they went, oh, that's not policy. We We place you with whom we think you would be best. But ultimately, they did go with the teacher I had asked for. And it was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> my my very first lesson with her, um, there was a piano. She said, well, sing me something. And there was a pianist there. And I think it was some Schubert. And the piano played the introduction. And I breathed in to sing. And she stopped me. Oh, no. And she said, well, no, no, your breathing's all wrong. Um, and that was kind of the way, the way it went on, which is why, as a teacher, I now always let students sing mm. before we can then go back and, and always have a, a, a run through. Um, so after my first year at the Northern, I asked 
to move teacher. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I got through three teachers in four <laughs> years. Uh, so I left the Northern feeling completely broken, doubting my abilities. I um, We unearthed a, a cassette of a performance I'd done and it just sounds like a frightened oh. rabbit in the headlights. There's no confidence, there's no quality. Anyway, I had met Joy before I finished at the Northern and had a few lessons with her. And she taught in a completely different, a completely different way that wasn't Freddie Cox with a few bells and whistles. And it was like a revelation. It was a complete revelation. Um, and her nurturing and just hand-holding, building the voice, building the confidence... And then I've got another cassette of a recording I made at, uh, I did a lunchtime concert at one of the London churches four years later. And it just sounds, it's a completely, Lucy, it's, it's a completely different voice. Wow. It's, so yeah, she was just absolutely there. She built a, a lovely sense of community with her students of all years. How, how long was she your teacher for? I would say she still is. Still is. Do you still have lessons ever with her? Um, Do you ever sing with her? I had a couple of lessons. Bearing in mind, I started with her in 1980, I suppose. Mm. So I still see her from time to time. And I had a lesson, a couple of lessons about 10 years ago. But I still think of her Mm. as, as being my teacher. And... Anything I do in terms of singing, I've, I just, it's, I sing the way I've been taught. And by definition, especially when you're teaching, but you, you think on her, you think about her on a daily basis. Singing is quite an unusual, I guess it must happen with a lot of, maybe with um, other musicians as well. But I think particularly with singing, that it's one of the only things where you can be a teacher and have a teacher at the same time. Because I know mum went to her singing teacher but while she was still a singing teacher as well. You, do you think that has an impact on you as a teacher? Oh, enormously, enormously. Some part of you is doing, is saying, oh, what would, what would Joy do in this situation? What, what, what would she be, what exercise would she be doing? Yeah, it's, it's constant, it's constantly there. Is your relationship similar now to what it was when you first or kind of when you were at the Royal Academy. It, it's exactly the same. I think because she was always so... She was always so friendly and welcoming. Mm. Because singing is such an emotional, emotionally exposing thing, mm. um, you can't really afford to... You can't hide anything. You might, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a therapist's role, I would imagine. Mm, definitely. Um, and, and she would often say... Oh, I can't, I can't get going in a singing, in a lesson until whatever it is that is bugging people has been offloaded. Yeah, I've definitely had that in singing lessons, but I've gone in, I don't know, I feel like I'm quite emotional with things, I cry a lot. Good, And Good. the amount of times that I've cried in a singing lesson, Yep. not really expecting to cry. I had a similar, when I was at school, I like burnt through singing teachers, I had so many, they were all just, I was always just Crap. given some, they were just bit rubbish I was always just given the it's because I was I had free singing lessons at school so they just literally shoved me with the someone who just didn't want to be a singing teacher they just were they were only being a teacher 
to pay for them to not be a teacher anymore. And yeah. it wasn't until I got to uni and I had a senior teacher who I'd actually had from the National Children's Choir when I was 10. And I went into her first lesson and we didn't even sing. I just sat and I had a cry and her. <laughs> it's such an emotional connection that you have with her, that you have with a senior teacher. Yeah. And and also you can't be emotionally, you can't sing if you're emotionally constipated. <laughs> no, you really can't. Um, and, and to to expose yourself emotionally, which is what you need to do in performing, you've got to feel that you're in a safe environment with someone you know well, I suppose. Yeah, being safe is such a... With singing, it's you. It's not a violin that you're playing that's making the noise. It's your person. And it is so personal because you're being... You feel as if you're being judged on you because it is you. So that's kind of... It's amazing that you've had such a great relationship with your teacher. Yeah. And thinking about the fairy godmother idea... And the idea of kind of having a mentor and having someone who you feel safe and... How do you describe Carly Simon? Emotionally honest. Yeah, we're getting a lot of emotion here, aren't we? A lot of emotion. Singing's is all about emotion. You can't... It is. It so is. You can't get away from it. So I'd love to move on now to your yep. fourth person. Very different ballpark here. I don't know, is that the phrase? Very different kettle of fish. Yeah, there you are. Um, who is somebody that you've never met, and you've gone for Shirley Williams. I, I admired her for... She'd, she'd gone to university, she'd gone to Oxbridge, <laughs> um, she'd travelled a lot. She'd been, I think during the Second World War, she'd been sent to America... Uh, she'd had to learn to fit in in lots of different environments. The need to do good was obviously something that really drove her. She became an M- MP. And OK, wow, a woman MP. Fantastic. But actually, she was also a journalist, a scholar. She became, I think, as an MP, Minister of Education and Science. She promoted women. She was she was first women in engineering year 1967 that was that was her doing although she'd come from a very academic background and was privileged i mean there's no, there's no doubt about it uh, she advocated when she was minister for education she promoted the comprehensive system she believed that if we were going to have a, a an equal society that everybody needed to go to the same type of schools she was an absolute dyed-in-the-wool Labour supporter, but she became very concerned about how it was becoming, the party was becoming more and more left-leaning, and she absolutely campaigned Labour, 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 and then she was one of the gang of four that broke away and set up the SDP and then joined, became part of the Liberal Democrats. So to leave the the bosom of your party and go, this Mm. is rubbish... I don't agree with this. It was such a brave thing to do. Mm. And then once she'd been sort of spat out of the education, uh, out of the um, politics, she then moved to America. She became professor in at Harvard School of Government. She helped draft constitutions for Russia, for the Ukraine, for South Africa. So many politicians nowadays kind of button their bottom lips. They're not happy with stuff, but they're not willing to break away. And she was more than happy to do that. And she was just such a torch bearer for women. I have thought about this, but not in depth, that people in my generation 
I mean, there's still obviously a gender gap in politics, but there are a lot of women to look up to. There are a lot of female MPs and like left-wing female MPs. It's not just Theresa May. But when you were younger, that when Shirley Williams was an MP, I was looking at the when she was elected in 1964, I think. There was something like 15 women. I mean, or maybe it's not quite as little as that, but it was really small amounts of women that were, yeah. that were in Parliament. And so someone like Shirley Williams is such a... I think it's difficult for someone my age to appreciate what a kind of... I feel like the phrase trailblazer is a bit annoying, but she was a kind of leader in a way that kind of women my age probably can't appreciate in the same way. Yeah. I'll lend you a book. I've, I've lent it to somebody else. I will try and get it back. And I, uh, it's her biography called Climbing the Bookcases or Climbing mm. the Bookcase. There are quite often moments throughout history. If you look back, there are lots of moments throughout history when you think, like, this is when it's going to change. This is a moment for change. And then you look at where we are now in that change that hasn't actually really happened. I saw a poster of um, protests during the Martin Luther King civil rights movement and it's like, there's a poster that says, like, this is the moment for change. And then there's literally a poster from last year's protests, which say, this is the moment for change, and you just look. And it's kind of, I mean, you can't compare, like, racism and feminism, but you do look at these things, and people like Shirley Williams, who was making a stand for women. And part of it is, you're like, wow, what an amazing woman. But also, I don't know, maybe this is a, a, a negative way to look at it. I don't know what you think, but I sometimes, I find that a bit disheartening that... The same campaigns are being made. It's it is disheartening. Yeah, it's kind of that thing. It'll be like the next generation. They'll do. Lucy, it. this could be your big break. This, yeah. this is what you need to do. <laughs> this is what I'll do. I don't think I'd be a very competent MP. Well, that hasn't stopped our MP, has it? <laughs> I guess that is true. That is very true. Do you think by looking at people like Shirley Williams, that seeing women in power, do you think that had an impact on you? No, because there were so many men. There were just so many men in politics. It's only now, looking back at what she achieved, you think, wow, back then, that was that was really something. I guess having a token woman in something isn't necessarily the same as representation. No. But, I don't know, looking at someone like Shirley Williams, trying to you know, look at the positives, maybe, it's... Oh, definitely. It's kind of, it's amazing to look at somebody who's persevered throughout that and you kind of think of I don't know the friction that she must have come up against I I think the sad thing is she probably had to be better than everyone else in order to compete on equal terms so we're going to move on to your final choice and this is somebody who's no longer alive and you've gone for the singer Maria Callas who is a legend. Some might describe her as. I would be one. I feel like you would be another. Yep, on the same page. <laughs> you, as a singer, did you look to Maria Callas as a kind of, uh, like, an inspiration of where you wanted to go? Or was it... Because you've got very different voices. Still, with that, are you able to kind of see something of her in you? Is something of you and her? Or have, like, that connection? I think the attraction to her... <clears throat> has always been the emotional truth that comes out in her performances. She was often criticised for not making very nice sounds. But for her, the 
portrayal of the emotion was always far more important than the beauty of the sound. So her performances always, always rang so true because she was completely emotionally involved. She wasn't willing to compromise, whereas there are lots of singers that we all know that are singing about how they're distraught, they're dying, their lover's been killed, and they make it sound like English Country Garden. It, it's just, there's a, there's a disjunction between what they're singing mm. and the way they're portraying it. There's some fantastic footage of a scene from um, Tosca, where Tosca goes to, I think it's Cavaradossi, to plead for her lover's release, and she ends up killing him. And even when she's not singing, you could, she's panting. You know, anyone else would be going, I've got to save my voice now, I'm going to be coming in 32 bars, it's his turn to Stefano, let him sing. Okay, I'm, I'm back in now, mm. I'm, I'm going to save it. But she is completely emotionally immersed in what she's doing, and it makes for some of the most electric opera film that I've, I've ever seen, even, even now. She's willing to compromise the quality of her voice in order to get the emotional truth across. Again, her life wasn't easy. She just kept going and her work ethic, just fantastic. No nothing was going to, to stop her d delivering, being the servant of the music, if you like. So I always, I've engaged with that. I've always, it's, it's always really ticked a lot of my boxes. I love that phrase, being a servant to the music. Uh, what other what, who are we I mean, for goodness sake um i think there's too much ego in a lot of well there is there's too much music it's about my performance no you've just you're the messenger you've just come here to to bring the composition to life by the composer mm. I think people often romanticize this idea of being a tortured artist she had a kind of really uh, a, a not great relationship with her mum and a tough childhood. And there was just huge focus. When you look her up, there's just so much focus on her weight and just how people, when she was performing, would make these comments being like, wow, she's an amazing singer, but she's atrociously fat. And then she lost all this weight. And some people said... The voice suffered. The voice suffered. But then also some people said, oh, it's brought this wonderful femininity to her voice, which I just thought was so sad. So she did lose this lots of her vocal quality but all these people were like oh it's good that she now sounds like what we think a woman should sound like when they're singing yeah uh, it's yeah exactly which is why a lot of people didn't like some of the the less beautiful feminine sounds that that she made onassis with whom she probably had a child and had and had the, the fetus aborted was incredibly uh controlling of her and who who she could see and where she could sing and, you know, there's, a, there's always been a, a sort of slight knock at the top of her voice mm. that just sits, doesn't quite work with the rest of the voice. Anyway, she wrote to Joy's teacher, Frederick Hussler, asking if she could come and have lessons with him. And Onassis found out and said, you can't go. That's no. it. I, t I tell you, there is, uh, there is one connection I feel with her. If, if you talk to your... Mum, on the day you have a concert, the first thing you do when you wake up, and you will have found this yourself, is you go, how's the voice, la voce, how, 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 did, how does it feel? Whereas you ha if you haven't, you don't even think about it. And by all accounts, she was always terrified when she was performing because she never knew if the voice was going to behave. And I can relate yeah. to that. 
You know, they we we all know singers who just whether they're well, whether they're ill, whether they've just got off a plane, it always sounds the same. It's just secure. It there's no flaw. It just always sounds fantastic. And she was always terrified because until she opened her mouth on stage, she never knew whether how it was going to behave that day. And I can really yeah, relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> She's such a great person to have picked, I think, because she's really unapologetic and flawed, yet that is what makes her so... what makes you kind of look up to her and makes her this diva, Mm. an icon. I think Bernstein described her as the Bible of opera. She's just... she has That's just it. And she's amazing because she's not... She's not like Shirley Temple, who's kind of... fits into everything that everybody wanted people to be or judy garland well not that's judy garland that's a terrible example nope. um but she didn't even come across like judy garland did so even though judy garland had this kind of pretty like awful life going on she was dorothy controlled. and she was lovely and controlled yes. and was able to be that but maria callas never was like you're saying she was so emotionally honest and rough around the edges is the wrong word but she was never just this bubble of femininity or perfection and and instantly instantly recognizable vocally you only mm. have to listen to a few seconds to go oh that's maria callis whereas i turn on the radio or whatever it is and i think yeah it's a soprano i have no idea who it is and you mm. can you can spend a whole afternoon listening to sopranos and they all basically sound the same obviously mm. altos are different because yeah. they have different qualities but um she is instantly recognizable so she didn't want to conform to this produced idea of what a soprano should sound like. She's just just amazing. Her own woman. Yeah, really her own woman. I think, yeah, having somebody like her in the... I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say she was ever, like, the mainstream, because I don't know if classical music has ever been what you would necessarily call mainstream. Hopefully but not. <laughs> but she's... Um, just such a relief, I think, from these very produced other kinds of people, celebrities. Yeah. Thank you for choosing her. That was a excellent. My pleasure. Place. Thank you so much, Tani. Great. Um, I've loved talking about all these people. Um, I've loved talking I, to you and hearing your input. I feel like I'm going to go out into the world and try and be a bit more emotionally honest after this. Good. That's what we want. Um, and I'm going to go and listen to some Carly Simon as well. I hope you do too. Tani is both the fairy godmother and podcast guest of dreams. Thank you to her and the Shilson sisters who wrote our music. Thanks for listening and please come back again next time. Mm-hmm.